Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning, to study your word and to uh, learn about you and specifically uh, the fourth commandment, Father. And I pray that you would help us to learn uh, these things and to, um, uh, to be so, uh, so invested in them and to be excited about them because we know what the truth is and we know how it impacts our lives. So bless this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Imagine this scene with me for a moment. You're hanging out with your friend on a sunny, comfortable 75-degree afternoon, and there isn't a cloud in the sky, you know, the sun's shining, the birds are chirping, there's a slight breeze coming through, the butterflies are fluttering around, all that kind of stuff, right? And you and your friend have been good friends for a long time, uh, but your friend isn't really some, is not someone in this room uh, this friend of yours, yeah, sorry people, but <laughs> this friend of yours is actually uh, goes to a different church in town, okay? But maybe you're like shooting hoops in the backyard or maybe you're swimming or something like that and you're just having lots of fun. But then you remember something and you moan out loud. Oh, man. And your friend turns to you and asks you, well, what's wrong? And you reply, I just remembered. I have chores to do tomorrow. And you expect some, you know, sympathy from your friend, but, but your friend actually surprises you and catches you way off guard and says, I never have to do chores on Saturday. I'm not allowed to. And you're like, what? Like, come again? Like, you aren't allowed to do chores on Saturday? Where do I sign up for this? Like, seriously. But, but once you kind of get past the shock of how amazing it would be if you guys could just switch lives for a moment, you begin to wonder, why isn't my friend allowed to do chores on Saturday? That doesn't make any sense. So you ask him or her, friend, why aren't you allowed to do chores on Saturday? Your friend tells you, we go to a Seventh-day Adventist church, and we're Sabbatarians. The Bible tells us in the Fourth Commandment to keep the Sabbath holy, and that's what we do. The Sabbath day is always Saturday. So we don't do any work on the Sabbath because God tells us we shouldn't. That's what they say. And so as you stare at your, at your friend in disbelief, uh, let, me, let me turn this, 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 uh, this into slow motion for a moment and list for you several out of a million thoughts that you have in your mind uh, that, that are happening all at the same time here, okay? Thoughts like, what's a Seventh-day Adventist church? What's a Sabbatarian? What's a Sabbath day? What does my friend mean we don't work on Saturday? Does that mean they don't do any manual labor, any, uh, manual labor period? What about sports? Are they not allowed to like play f football or soccer or you know whatever? Uh, that sounds kind of strenuous, work-related. What about making breakfast or lunch or dinner? Are they not allowed to eat food? Like, are they starving on Saturday? Uh, should I not be working on Saturday? Is my friend right and I'm wrong? And have I been duped this whole time by my parents to do chores on a day I was never supposed to? <laughs> ha have I been breaking the fourth commandment all along? You know, hey, the fourth commandment, we know that one, right? You know, like we think, you know, I know the, the hand motions for that one, like the pillow, right? It's like, yeah. So all these thoughts are going through your head all at the same time. And after that half second of madness ends, you just kind of gaze at your friend with a blank stare and you say, okay, and just kind of move on. 
because you don't know what else to say. Uh, seventh, seventh day Adventist, um, Sabbatarian, no work allowed on the, sa- on the Saturday. That's all really weird stuff. We're not used to that. This morning, we're talking about the fourth commandment in the New Testament, which is keep the Sabbath holy. Okay, And so that's kind of our discussion for this morning. Uh, the fourth commandment from the New Testament. And again, we're talking about keep the Sabbath holy. But let me ask you, and just, you know, you don't have to answer me, but what would you say to your friend? What would you say to your friend in that moment? Are you just going to be like, okay, and just kind of leave it there? Or how would you respond to that? It's kind of, it's kind of awkward, and you, don't, you may not even know exactly what all this kind of means and stuff. So, but let me kind of inform you about Sabbatarianism for just a moment, okay? Uh, your friend in the story isn't real, okay? Most likely. I just kind of made this person up. But a Seventh-day Adventist church is a real church. And that's something I didn't make up, okay? Seventh-day Adventist is a Christian denomination that believes you are not allowed to do any work on the seventh day of the week. And, you know, that's why they kind of call themselves Seventh-day Adventists, okay? Uh, Seventh-day Adventism is one out of many Christian denominations that believes in a doctrine called Sabbatarianism. Sabbatarianism. And Sabbatarianism is the belief that Christians today are required to follow the fourth commandment literally. Literally. And that means don't do any work on the Sabbath day. Keep the Sabbath holy. Now, like I said, Seventh-day Adventists are just one category of Sabbatarianism because Sabbatarians don't all agree on which day of the week is the Sabbath day. Um, some, like Seventh-day Adventists, think it's on Saturday, okay? And they reason, hey, the Fourth Commandment says keep the Sabbath holy. The, the Sabbath day was always originally the seventh day of the week, which is Saturday. So they're like, that's when we're going to keep the Sabbath holy. But some Sabbatarians, other ones, say it's on Sunday, and they think it kind of switched over time. So we don't do any work on, on Sunday, uh, but we can do work on Saturday or something like that, okay? So that's kind of their thought process. Confusing, right? It's like, well, which one is it? Like, is it Sunday or is it Saturday? And that's actually part of the problem that they don't really, they, they, they just don't know what they're doing, okay? So we, the, that's, the question is, how do you know? How do you know which one it is? And the story I just told you here illustrates this serious problem if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't know what you're talking about. And the problem revolves around a very important issue that we've been discussing this entire time in our series through the Ten Commandments, and it's this. What's the point of the Ten Commandments? What's the point of the Ten Commandments? If you miss that, you're going to blow up the Fourth Commandment. You're absolutely going to destroy it. If you get it, you're going to nail it, okay? So that's, that's kind of where they get tripped up here. All Sabbatarians, whether they be Seventh-day Adventists or some other group of Sabbatarians, misunderstand what the Ten Commandments are all about and how they work. That's the problem. So let me kind of fill you in on what they think about the Ten Commandments, and you be the judge of whether they're thinking about this right or not, okay? Sabbatarians believe you, Christian, in the 21st century are required to obey the Ten Commandments. You're required to obey them. You're, you're, you're bound to them. They have jurisdiction over you. Remember that word, jurisdiction? We've kind of talked about that. And since those commandments 
have jurisdiction over you, that means a commandment like number four, keep the Sabbath holy, still applies today. It still applies today. You must keep the Sabbath holy. So you must not do any work on the Sabbath. That's what they say. Whether that be Saturday or Sunday or whatever, whatever day they choose, okay? But what's the problem with that? What's the, big, what's the big problem with that? What have we been talking about all along that totally debunks that claim? The Ten Commandments don't have any jurisdiction over you whatsoever. They don't. You're not responsible to actually do any of them. You don't have to obey them. You don't. Uh, not, you don't have to obey a single one of the Ten Commandments. And that might surprise you in one sense, because a lot of Christians kind of make a big deal about the Ten Commandments and that you should obey them and stuff like that. But here's the thing. You don't have to obey a single one. You don't. Not one. And the question is, why not? Like, they're in the Bible. Like, why don't we have to obey them? Because, here's the thing. You're not an Israelite. You're not an Israelite. You are a Christian. The Ten Commandments don't have any power over you, just like a you know, like a 55-mile-per-hour speed limit in Ohio doesn't have jurisdiction over you when you're driving in California. Like, so, like, it's like you can go 65 miles per hour on the freeway in California and totally be fine because the law in Ohio doesn't apply to you in that moment, right? Well, that's just, it's the same thing here. In the same way, the Ten Commandments weren't given to you. They were given to Israelites, okay? So you don't have to follow the Ten Commandments at all. But, but... That doesn't mean you're free to do whatever you want, okay? You, you just can't, like, you know, go and just, you know, you, you're, you're free to, to do whatever, okay? You are a Christian. You are a Christian. You live under a completely different law. And that law is something that we've been calling the law of Christ. The law of Christ. And the law of Christ, you know, sure, it, it, it's similar to the law of the Old Testament, it's similar to the Ten Commandments. Uh, they're not polar opposite or anything like that. They overlap in a lot of different ways. In fact, the law of Christ has a lot of the same kind of laws as the Ten Commandments, okay? Like, you know, don't lie. Don't steal. You know, don't murder, okay? The, those are commands in the Ten Commandments, right? But they're also commands we find in the New Testament, in the law of Christ. Um, so, you know, I think we would all agree these are all bad things to do. You know, we shouldn't do these things. But even the New Testament reiterates these commandments. Uh, Colossians 3.9, don't lie to one another. Hey, that sounds a lot like the Ninth Commandment. Well, yeah, because it's a copycat of the Ninth Commandment. Ephesians 4.28, he who steals must steal no longer. Hey, that sounds a lot like the Eighth Commandment. Yeah, because it's a copycat of the Eighth Commandment. How about James 11, or 2, verses 11 through 12? If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. You know, hey, that sounds a lot like the Sixth Commandment. Yeah, because it's a copycat of the Sixth Commandment. So the law of Christ definitely echoes the Ten Commandments. They're very similar. They're very similar. But they're not one and the same. They're not an exact copycat. 
it is a little bit different. There are some differences that are very notable. And as we jump into the New Testament to locate the fourth commandment, here's where we find a major difference. Major difference. The law of Christ never, ever, forever, never, ever, never, ever asks you to keep the Sabbath day. Never. That law never transferred over from the Ten Commandments. Never did. The first commandment did. The second commandment did. The third commandment did. But the fourth commandment? Eh, not really. Sort of, but not really. This is the most different commandment uh, between the two laws uh, that we will find. The fourth commandment uh, is, is quite different. You don't have a special day each week where you're required not to work. The Bible in the New Testament doesn't ask you as a Christian to not work on a certain day. It doesn't. You're never going to find, like, don't work on Saturday. Even though, like, in our culture, a lot of us don't work on Saturday. It's true. But that's just a cultural thing. That's not a biblical thing, okay? And some people say, well, Sunday. Sunday's the day where you're not supposed to work. No, it's not. The Bible never says you can't work on Sunday. And actually, it never even says that you have to meet for church on Sunday. It never says that. And it's like, well, then, why do we meet on Sunday? Well, there's a whole other bunch of reasons why we meet on Sunday, and it's a good thing to do, okay? But we'll, that's not necessarily for our discussion right now, okay? But, but you're never required to not work on a certain day, okay? So here's the million-dollar question with all this, okay? <laughs> Can't we just ignore the fourth commandment then? Like, what's the big deal? Like, is there anything that we can actually learn from the fourth commandment? I mean, if we're no longer required to observe a Sabbath day of rest, what's the point of even talking about the fourth commandment in the first place? Like, why are we even talking about this? Why did I spend, you know, a couple weeks ago an entire sermon in the Old Testament on the fourth commandment? Why am I spending an entire sermon uh, on the fourth commandment in the New Testament? Who cares? We don't have to follow it. What, what can we possibly learn from the fourth commandment if it's no longer in force? We can't just skip over this, though. We can't because the law of Christ does talk about the fourth commandment. The New Testament does talk about the fourth commandment. Now, it doesn't repeat the fourth commandment word for word, but it does address it in kind of a backdoor sort of way. And... It all has to do with the fundamental principle that comes behind the fourth commandment. And that is something we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And the principle is this. God owns your time. God owns your time. God owns your time. That's the principle. And you guys remember in the review game, I kind of, uh, I, I, think, I think that was one of the, the Wheel of Fortune questions or whatever, or, or answers, God owns your time. Well, so hopefully you kind of already know that already, but God owns your time. So we can't just skip over this. Um, and here's the thing. If you're, if you're having trouble uh, trying to figure out, okay, how does God owning your time mean that we have to... L- that, that we can learn from the fourth commandment. Well, what are we learning about this, okay? Think about it this way. Let me give you an illustration. There's, there's no better way than giving you an illustration about this, okay? Right now, there is no 
California state law that requires adults, which is anyone over the age of 18, to wear a helmet while riding a bike, skateboard, or scooter, okay? So <laughs> yours truly can totally zip around Bakersfield unprotected with a helmet uh, on a skateboard without a cop pulling me over and giving me a ticket. I can totally do that, okay? And actually, I do that all the time. When I'm biking, I'll, I don't wear a helmet, which I probably should, but I don't, okay? You, however, as minors, anyone under the age of 18 are required to wear a helmet. Did you know that? I don't know if you guys knew that, but you're required to wear a helmet. It's illegal for you not to wear a helmet. Now, I'm not going to ask you, do you wear a helmet or not, okay? Most cops are not going to pull you over and ticket you for something like that. It's, it's just a, it's, it's not a big deal, okay? They're more concerned with, you know, the drug dealers and the, you know, the gangbangers and all that kind of stuff, all right? So, but here's the cool thing. A day's going to come, and it might have already come for some of you, when you become an adult, you turn 18, and you can flaunt your freedom like I do, okay? And you don't have to wear a helmet and all that kind of stuff. But here, here's the thing, okay? Think about this. Why was a law made that requires you to wear a helmet? Why was it even made in the first place? Is this because people want to like enforce a law on you and just make you miserable for the rest of your life? No. There's always a purpose behind a law. What's the purpose behind this law? Your safety. Your safety, right? Every law has a principle behind it, a, a reason that brought it into an existence in the first place. And safety is the principle behind the helmet law, okay? Now, listen carefully here, okay? So this is, this, I'm going to tie this all back together to what we're talking about. I'm an adult, so the helmet law doesn't apply to me anymore. It doesn't apply to me. It used to, but not anymore. I don't have to obey it. I don't have to obey it, okay? But just, just because the law doesn't apply to me anymore, does that mean the principle of safety no longer applies to me anymore? No. I mean, you know, am I totally free to throw caution in the wind now just because this law doesn't apply to me? Can I just like run out in traffic with my bike or skateboard and just like zip through and, and not even care about lanes or, or lights or anything or like traffic signs or anything like that? No, I can't do that. I have to be safe. Even if there's no law that says I need to wear a helmet, okay? I have to be safe. Safety still should be my concern. The law assumes that I've been trained for 18 years of my life to be safe when I skateboard, okay? So do I have to wear a helmet to be safe? Not necessarily. I can still be safe without a helmet. But do I have to be safe? Yes. That principle is still in play. So now, let's apply this thought pattern to the fourth commandment, okay? Just like there was a principle, a reason behind the helmet law, which is safety, there's a principle, a reason behind the fourth commandment, and it's this. God owns your time. God owns your time. Okay? So do we need to obey uh, the, 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 the fourth commandment to show that God owns our time? No, we don't have to obey the fourth commandment to do that anymore. But do we still have to show that God owns our time somehow? Yes, we still have to honor this principle somehow. It may not be through the fourth commandment, but we're still going to honor this principle that was behind the fourth commandment in the first place. Does that make sense? That's what's going on. And so this is kind of a little complicated, I realize that. 
But that's how this kind of transfers over into the New Testament, okay? That's how we actually honor and sort of fulfill the fourth commandment and can learn from it even without actually obeying it in the first place, okay? So we're not Israelites. We're Christians. The law is notably different for us here. And the Ten Commandments required Israelites to observe the Sabbath, to uphold the principle that God owned their time. But the law of Christ doesn't require us to obey it. So still, we as Christians need to uphold this principle that God owns our time, okay? So we're not required to follow the exact same pattern, but, um, but we still need to reflect the principle behind the pattern, right? So the New Testament shows us some very specific ways that we do this. There are some very specific ways that we can do this, okay? So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And here's kind of the way it does it, just if we were to kind of sum it all up. Oh, there, there's my, I forgot to show you my illustration here. But this is the California state law, okay? No helmet and helmet, okay? That would have been a lot more helpful to have an illustration in front of you, but oh well. But here's kind of the main point. The fourth commandment calls you to be a good steward of God's time. Bottom line, when you sum all this up in the New Testament, this is what you find. The fourth commandment calls you to be a good steward of God's time. And the New Testament emphasizes this theme called stewardship. 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 Okay. They're like, what's stewardship? Stewardship is technically the dictionary definition, the responsible oversight and protection of something that someone considers worth caring for and preserving. That's just a mouthful. So in other words, let's put it this way. Stewardship is managing something that's not your own. It's managing something that's not your own. A good example of this, when your friends go on vacation, your neighbors, okay, they will ask you to watch over their pet Fluffy, all right? And you become a temporary manager of Fluffy for that week or whatever, okay? You're a steward of Fluffy. That's what you are. It's like in Lord of the Rings, the steward of Gondor. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that or not. He, was a, he wasn't like the king. He was just kind of a temporary like substitute in place of a king. Well, that's kind of the idea. You're a temporary manager, a steward of, of something. And you're responsible to, fl- to feed Fluffy and to keep Fluffy safe while your friends are gone, okay? It's important. You must take it seriously. Because if you don't, you're going to be the one in the doghouse, not Fluffy. Okay? That's how this works. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, what is so important that God has given us that we need to be good stewards of? Well, the answer to that question is time. God has given us time. Uh, Each one of us has a time bank account set up by God that you spend from every day. Each one of us has one. And to kind of help you conceptualize how important that time is, last week I had you think about it just as that. It's like money. It's like money. I had you imagine that every second you experience is like a penny. It's like a penny. And it's not a penny saved. It's a penny lost, okay? Because you can only spend time. You can't save it. There's no way to, like, add time to a day. It just every second goes and you lose it, all right? But each penny is not really your penny. It's God's penny because God has given to you. You're just a steward of it. You're just a manager of it. It's his penny. 
So every second that you lose, you lose, uh, uh, you're losing God's money. So at the end of the, each day, you lose 18064 of God's, you know, pennies or 18, 186, 100, 80, 100, sorry, $864. Uh, dollars. That's how much it is. So $864 seconds, $864 of God's precious time. That's what you're losing every single day. And that kind of puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Time isn't whatever, it, it, time isn't just kind of like whatever. And how you spend it isn't just like who cares. It's huge. It's a big deal. And as Christians who love and obey and serve Christ, we need to learn how to be good stewards of God's time. Just as the fourth commandment informed us, and just as the New Testament reiterates and kind of commands us, okay? So to do that, let's take the rest of our time together and look at how the New Testament uh, uh, repackages the fourth commandment for us, okay? In such a way that it warns us to be good stewards of God's time. So turn in your Bibles to the New Testament, and we're going to look at the book of Romans. Romans, okay? We could look at a lot of different things this morning, but I think the book of Romans gives us a great example of how this works. For a while, I've been looking at like specific examples of characters, different people who have totally blown it with the Old Testament, who have totally blown it with the, the Ten Commandments. But um, I'm actually going to look at an example this morning of people who actually do it right, okay? Which is, it, it's, it, we can actually look at something positive this morning, not something negative. So, Romans chapter 14, and I want to show you guys, in particular this morning, uh, three principles, three principles that we learn from Romans 14 about being good stewards of God's time, okay? Three principles about being good stewards of God's time. And the first principle we learn from Romans 14 is this. Stewardship is flexible, but not free. Stewardship is flexible, but not free, okay? And this comes from verse 5 of Romans 14. Romans 14, 5. It says, One person esteems one day better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, the book of Romans is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, I don't know if you know that, but that's what it is. It's all about the gospel and how it transforms everything. In the last few chapters of this book, the Apostle Paul describes how the gospel even changes your personal life, the way you live your life, okay? That's what it does. And there are, very, there are some very distinctive ways that your life needs to change because of the gospel. In Romans 13, for example, Paul says you need to obey the government. It's a very important, specific way that you live out the gospel before the world, obey your government. You need to love one another. You need to do good to one another. Uh, that's like in Romans chapter 12 and, and, and the end of 13. And then he comes to chapter 14 and he says, one of the way that this changes your life has to do with your choices, the way you make decisions, okay? And this is something that is called, commonly called, Christian liberty. Christian liberty, okay? That's what Paul's talking about here. You have freedom, in a sense, in Christ to make choices. And this freedom, this choice, it isn't always black or white. 
It's not always good or bad. It can be good and better, or better and best, or maybe just good and good. It's not like it's all wrong or all right. It could be, you know, just this is good and maybe this is a little bit better. And so it's not like it's sinful to choose this one and not sinful to choose this one. It could be not sinful to choose this one and not sinful to choose this one. Why? Because you have freedom in Christ in some choices that you make to actually choose something and honor Christ in whatever you choose. There's, there's, there's options available to you, okay? So if you're having trouble kind of tracking with this, let me kind of give you an example of this. Here's two options you could have this afternoon, okay, when you go home today. You could either take notes, or sorry, you could either take the notes that you've jotted down in church this morning and review them this afternoon. You could do that. Or you could take a nap, okay? You can either take notes or take a nap. Now, traditionally, we're used to thinking about it this way. One is more spiritual than the other. <laughs> you know, take, reviewing your notes is, is, is right, and taking a nap is sinful. We kind of think about it that way, okay? But our flesh is always like, I'm going to take a nap anyways because I don't care, okay? But here's the thing. Christian liberty says neither of those are right or wrong. Neither of those are right or wrong. You have the option to choose. And what makes a decision right or wrong in this case isn't the choice that you make, but the reason that you chose it in the first place. What's the motivation for why you chose what you chose? That's what makes it right or wrong. So in other words, here, here's how this kind of works, all right? You can read your sermon notes this afternoon for a good reason. You know, you could say, I want to be, I want to let what I learned this morning kind of sink in just a little bit more. That's a good reason. You can take a nap this afternoon for a good reason. You know, you can be like, I want to rest and be refreshed for the evening service. Pastor Steve has been encouraging us to actually take naps in the afternoon, okay? There's a good reason for it. You can do that. You have the choice. It's up to you. You're not restricted to do one particular thing all day long. The Israelites were back then, but you're not. You're not restricted. But... You can also read your sermon notes this afternoon for a bad reason. You can read them for a bad reason. You can say, I need to earn favor with God, and reading my sermon notes will help me do that. That's a bad reason. You can't earn favor with God. Christ has already done that. That's, that's moralism. That's behaviorism. But you can also take this uh, nap this afternoon for a bad reason. You can say, I want to be lazy and selfish and things like that. That's a bad reason, okay? So there's flexibility here. But back in Israel's day, they didn't have the flexibility that we have. They had the Sabbath day, and they had to not work on the Sabbath day. And if they did any work, it was sinful. And that wasn't the only, way, that was, that wasn't the only thing that God controlled in their life in terms of their calendar. There were a lot of ways that God limited their schedule, okay? Let me give you kind of a couple, uh, several examples here, right? They had to observe a Passover every year. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Booths. And some of these feasts lasted for days, and they had to do them. It wasn't an option. You can celebrate the 4th of July or not celebrate it, and no one's going to arrest you for it, okay? But if you're an Israelite, you had to celebrate these things, or else you were in big trouble, like with the entire nation, not like with your church. Like it was, like it was actually like a national crime, okay? So every month, 
they had to observe new moon feasts. Every seventh year, they had to observe a Sabbath year feast. Every 50th year, they had to do a feast of Jubilee. And this isn't even including the sacrifices they would make on a regular basis, whether they be burnt offerings, peace offerings, grain offerings, sin offerings, or trespass offerings, okay? And some of those they may have to do daily. They were very restricted in their time. Israel had zero flexibility in their schedule, zero. And God dictated their calendar. And you're like, that sounds really bad and awful. Actually, it's not as bad as you think it was. It was all for, I mean, they were eating like all the time. Like it was just like feast after feast after feast. So it wasn't that bad, but they had to do it. Romans 14.5 says though, some Christians observe one day a week, some observe every day. And everyone should um, be fully convinced in his own mind, which what they do. In other words, you have the choice. You can go to church six days a week or seven days a week, or you can go to church one day a week. And some people did that back then. Some people went to church every day. Some people went to church one day. And it wasn't wrong to do one or the other. That wasn't the point. The point is, the point wasn't, are you attending church more than so-and-so so you can look more spiritual? The point was, are you, are you doing what you're doing for the right reasons? That was the point. Are you making every moment count for the glory of God? That was the point. So for some people, that, mean, that meant going to church every day because they just couldn't get enough of church. They just loved it. For some people, it meant only going once a week because they had responsibilities that they couldn't get out of every day. So they had work, you know, and they had all that kind of stuff. So, but that, it doesn't matter, though, how many times they went to church. What matters was, were they trying to do it for the glory of God? That was the point. They were both right, but uh, in this case. So there's flexibility here, but it's not entirely free. It's not entirely free because it all goes back to what's your motivation for doing it? So you, Christian teenager, have been given the opportunity to choose what you can do, what you want to do with your time. You have that freedom, but that freedom isn't a license to do whatever you want. It's not. It's not. Is what you choose to do with your time honoring to the Lord? Does it honor Christ? Do you know why you do what you do? Do you know why you do what you do? That's what the law of Christ is after. That's what Paul is after. That's what the New Testament is after. That's what I'm after here, okay? So that's one principle. Second one is this. Stewardship is service, but not slavery. Stewardship is service, but not slavery. This comes from verse 6, Romans 14, verse 6, which says, The one who observes the day observes, observes it in honor of the Lord. And then in verse 7 it says, For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. It's not just that there's flexibility in stewardship. There's an end goal. There's an objective. There's a mission at stake. And the mission is this. We must serve the Lord with what we do. We must serve the Lord. That's our purpose in stewardship. We don't live for ourselves. We live for the Lord. 
And that's what these verses are all about here. Paul says, no one among us lives for himself or dies for himself. If you're a Christian, you don't live for yourself. If you're a Christian, you're not going to suffer or die for yourself. You suffer and die for Christ. You live for Christ. Everything you do revolves around the Lord. He is your life. Paul actually said something very similar in the book of Philippians, and you've probably heard it before. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Very good, yeah. You know that. Christ consumed Paul. Consumed Paul, whether it be in death or in life. And Christ should consume us as well. And if you're wondering to yourself, well, why does God get to corner the market on my time? Why does he get to say what I do with my time and, and gets all the attention in a sense? Well, on Wednesday night, I showed you guys, for those of you guys who were there, uh, I showed you a bit about how to study the Bible. And one of the things you do, one of the first things you do is you make observations, right? Make observations. Well, here's an observation for you about Romans chapter 14, verses 6 through, uh, six through 9, okay? Look at the screen here, okay? I've kind of highlighted for you so you can see it. Look how many times Paul uses the, the name Lord, okay? In four verses, he uses it seven times. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in, the, in, in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. For we live and we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. What's the theme, do you think, here that's going on here? God's lordship. It's all about God's lordship. God, or sorry, Paul could have used any number of names for God, like God or Jesus or Christ or Savior or any one of these things, but he uses Lord because Lord communicates something about who God is in relationship to our time. God is Lord of our time. He's Lord of our time. He's master over it. He owns it. And that's why he can say, we live to the Lord, we die the Lord, because at the end of the day, it says, we, we are the Lord's. We belong to the Lord. He bought us. He owns us. He redeemed us. So we belong to him. Our time is not our own. He owns it. And so the real, the bottom line question here is this. Who runs your schedule? Who runs your schedule? It should be God. It should be God because ultimately he does own all of time. But oftentimes we don't act like it, right? We don't act like it. We need to be pleasing the Lord with everything that we do, with all of our time. The final principle is this. Stewardship is conviction, but not, dis not condescending. Stewardship is conviction, but, it, but it's not condescending. Uh, this comes from verses 10 through 12. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why, or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of God, uh, give an account of himself to God. This is actually Paul's 
main argument this entire time. This is what he's after. He's really concerned that the believers he's writing to are going to really act all judgmental to, toward each other just because they don't see eye to eye on things like time management. If they're going to they're gonna like get, you know, like Alex in the church might get really offended that, that Chloe attends church six times a week and while he only attends once or something like that. And Chloe might look down on Alex because, she, because he only attends once a week and she attends six times a week. But Paul argues here, this is a matter of Christian liberty. Neither one of them are more spiritual for what they do. Don't let it spoil your relationships. It doesn't matter whether you go to church one day a week or several. Neither option is more spiritual. What makes it all sinful is doing it for the wrong reasons. That's, what's, that's what makes it wrong. But while Paul doesn't want them to look down their noses at each other, he still invites them to develop a conviction about how they use their time. Have conviction about what you do with your time. Don't just kind of follow the crowd. Actually know why you do what you do and when you do it. Have conviction. Be fully convinced in your mind, as verse 5 says, about what you're doing with your time. So, you know, set a schedule that's honoring to God and stick to it, even if it's a little bit different than everybody else. And it's like, well, no one else is doing it. Well, so what? Set a schedule that's honoring to God. So those are the three principles that we learn from Romans chapter 14 about how God owns our time and how we can be good stewards of God's time. Now, let me really quickly close with this. There's a lot of things we could talk about of how to actually bring this into our lives. But let me give you five ways that you can be good stewards of God's time. And these will just kind of get you started, okay? This isn't all there is. This is just a handful, okay? Number one, get yourself to church on Sunday. We've talked about this, and, you know, I know for you guys, it's like, well, I don't have a choice. Like, my parents drive me and stuff, so it's, you know, whatever. But, you know, choose to be here even though it's not your choice. Choose to be here. Because a day is going to come where it is going to be your choice. It is going to be your choice. You're going to be able to decide whether you want to come on Sundays or not. Choose to be here. And when you're here, choose to be all here. Choose to be listening. Choose to be involved. Choose to be invested. Out of all of these options, of all these ways here to be a good steward of God's time, this one is non-negotiable. You actually have to do this one. And it's not just because it's a good idea, it's because it's actually commanded in the New Testament. Uh, Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how to stir one, uh, one another up to love, uh, love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So this is required, and it's important for us to meet on Sundays. We need to meet on Sundays. We must meet as a church together. And there's a lot of good reasons why, but for our discussion this morning, we don't have time to go there. But, but be here. Be here on Sundays. Number two, get yourself around the Bible and believers as much as possible. Sundays are a good idea, but get around believers as much as possible. Get around the teaching of God's Word as much as possible. That's a great thing to do. Number three, get yourself into the Word on a regular basis. So it's not just people teaching you. You read the Bible for yourself. That's a great way to use your time. 
get yourself on your knees in prayer whenever possible. Um, you know, out of all the 864 seconds that you spend every day, this is a great way to spend your time. I've never heard of anyone saying, wow, I really regret spending that much time in prayer. I've never heard anyone say that. I've never said it. When you pray, it's, and when you're, when you're done praying, it's one, you find yourself thinking, this is one of the most rewarding things I've done. It's wonderful. Spend time in prayer. That's a great way to demonstrate that God owns your time. Okay? And last, get yourself evaluating the way you use your time. Get yourself evaluating the way you use your time. Um, I say this because I know the culture that you live in. I know the culture that you live in. And it's a very spontaneous, kind of goofy culture, which is not all bad. But here's the thing. It's also very impulsive. Everyone acts on impulse. But the fourth commandment cautions you to think about what you do and to think about it carefully, carefully. Plan what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. I know it's a novel concept, but plan it out. Be thoughtful. Know why you do what you do. Think about how much time you spend on this or that. How much time am I going to spend on homework? How much time am I going to spend on video games? How much time am I going to spend chatting with my friends, uh, whether it be through text messaging or hanging out, things like that? Plan that out. Think about why I do it and how much time I'm going to give to it so that I can give attention to things that are important. Set up priorities. This is most important in my life. This is second most important. This is third most important. Have that in your mind. Be thoughtful. Don't be impulsive. Don't be impulsive. So you and I are not Sabbatarians. We're not required to, to observe a Sabbath day every day, every day of the week. Um, but we are stewards. We are stewards. And what we decide to do with our time is central to our Christian walk. And it's vital to our Christian witness in this world. How are you spending your $864 every day? How are you spending them? Spend them for Christ. Spend them for Christ. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, I pray that you would help us to see ways that we can be spending our time for your sake and not for ourselves. Please help us to be mindful of, of your lordship over our time. And may we direct all of our attention to you and all of our resources and even our calendars and, and schedules for your purpose because we love you. Not because we feel like it makes us more spiritual, not because we think it somehow earns favor with you or anything like that, but not because we feel like we have to, but because we love you. And, and we want to honor you in, in the best possible way and, and bless us in this way and reward us with such joy and happiness as we rework our schedules for your name's sake. And may we just find that as a testimony to the fact that this is right, this is true, and this is what we need to do. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen.